Uh, grab a Bible and go with me to the Gospel of Matthew in the 8th chapter. We're back in uh, the Gospel of Matthew after taking a four-week break for our special series called Right on the Money. Now, while you're turning there, let me just uh, share something with you. I don't know if everyone knows this or not, but recently, uh, Kim and Brian Tabor, of course, Brian is our worship and arts pastor, been here for a long time. Kim and Brian Tabor just released a new CD. It's called I Found Freedom, and it's incredible. It's wonderful. And so, there's a special event that's going to happen here next Sunday night, a week from today, next Sunday night, October the 1st at 6 o'clock here in the worship service. They're having a CD release concert. And I would love to see this place filled with their Mount Pleasant family along with all their other friends and supporters in the area. They have a special guest going to be here named Stephen Arterburn. You might know who he is. He's a writer and speaker, lives up on the north side of Indianapolis. But it's going to be a great evening. Uh, there's going to be a, a love offering received during the evening, and all the money that comes in is going to go to the ministry that they're involved in, or one of the ministries they're involved in, called Stripped Free. If you don't know what that is, that's a ministry where uh, Kim and uh, there are several ladies in our church are involved. They go into uh, strip clubs here in the greater Indianapolis area and minister to the women there to try to help them find a way out of that life. And so that's a great, great worthy cause. Our church supports also. And that's next Sunday night, 6 o'clock here in the worship center. Now, I know a lot of you are in home groups that meet on Sunday nights, but maybe that could be like a field group, a field trip night, and you could come together uh, to the CD release concert. It would be a blessing to you. So I wanted to give that promotion. All right, let's turn our attention to Matthew chapter 8. You know, when I began this study, which was actually back uh, at the end of last year, I told you that what I was going to do, since it was going to be such a lengthy study, is I was going to divide the Gospel of Matthew up into different sections, and we'd cover sections, and then maybe take a break for a few weeks and come back. And that's what we just did. But we've, as we come together this weekend and we open our Bibles to Matthew 8, we begin section 3, which is chapters 8, 9, and 10. Now, if you remember, chapters 1 through 4 was the first section. We called that Jesus the Messiah. And let me tell you something. What we saw in chapters 1 through 4 is that Jesus was destined for greatness. I say that because He was God's chosen Messiah. He was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He was born of a virgin. He came to take away the sins of the world. And then we got to Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. That was section number 2, which just happens to be the Sermon on the Mount. We called that section, Just Say No to Religion. And what we saw in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is that Jesus was a great teacher. So first of all, he was destined for greatness. Secondly, we see that he was a great teacher. When we get to chapters 8, 9, and 10, I'm calling this section of, of Matthew's gospels, uh, gospel glimpses of greatness. And what we're going to see here is Jesus doing great things. We see him doing incredible supernatural miracles. But that's not all. We also see Jesus issuing challenges to His followers to embrace a life that's greater than what they're currently experiencing, a greater life for themselves. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks, how you can live a great life. And I'm not talking about greatness in the sense of fame or notoriety or any kind of a human or worldly recognition. I'm talking about greatness in the sense of living a life that makes an impact on the world for Christ. And we're going to see that right from the beginning in Matthew chapter 8. And let me just tell you the first fundamental lesson that I want you to, to grasp with the text that we're going to look at today is just this really simple truth. You can't give to others what you don't have. You can't give to others what you don't have. 
And here's the specific application. You can't share the greatness of God or the power of God with someone else if you've never experienced the greatness of God or the power of God in your own life. It's impossible. You can't give to others what you don't have. So if you want to make an impact on the lives of other people, if you want to make an impact with your life in the world, you need to open your life up to God and let Him make an impact on you. You need to experience His greatness and His power in your life. And we're going to see how that can happen by looking at three different people who experienced the greatness of the power of God or the power of God through an encounter with Jesus. Their stories are found in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. So, if you've got your Bibles open there, let's dive in. Stand together with me like we always do in reverence for God's Word and... We're going to have the public reading of Scripture this morning. Now, I said our passage is Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, but we're not going to read that entire passage while we're standing. I'm just going to read the first four verses, which give us the story of the first encounter, because as we move through each encounter, I want the passage to be fresh in your mind, okay? So follow along, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. All right, there it is. That's the first part of our passage. You can be seated. We always ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of His Word. Now, it's easy to miss the significance of what happened here because we don't have a firsthand knowledge of leprosy like people did in Jesus' day. And even though this this illness still exists in different parts of the world, for the most part, it is contained. So here's what we need to understand. Leprosy is an infectious disease that you can contract by coming into close and repeated contact with someone who has it. And in ancient days... In Jesus' day, it was believed that if you touched that person who had leprosy, your chance of getting it increased significantly. And so as a result, people who had leprosy in Jesus' day became an outcast. In Palestine, during the time of Jesus, lepers were not even allowed in the city limits of Jerusalem. And if there was a circumstance where they were around healthy people, They were required by the law to warn those people of their disease, you probably know this from Sunday school, by walking around and crying out the words, unclean, unclean. According to William Barclay and his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, Jewish law wouldn't allow a healthy person to even say hello to a leper. And unless you wanted to be labeled labeled unclean yourself, you were required again by the law to stay at least six feet away from anyone with leprosy except on a windy day, and then the distance was changed or increased to 150 feet. All this to say that lepers in Jesus' day were literally like the walking dead, and no one would have anything to do with a leper. And yet Matthew tells us right there in verses 2 and 3 that Jesus, first of all, allowed this leper to approach him. Secondly, that he allowed this leper to talk to him. And if those two things weren't shocking enough, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched this man with leprosy. And that tells us a lot about Jesus' fundamental attitude toward people. And I can sum up that attitude in a single sentence. As far as Jesus is concerned, there is no such thing as being unclean or untouchable. You know, I've met a lot of people over 
the years in the church who believe that there are things in their life, things in their past, for example, that make them unclean or make them untouchable or make them somehow unworthy. And honestly, maybe that describes somebody in this service this morning. Maybe that describes somebody who's listening to me online. Maybe you've done things in your life or you've had things happen in your life that you think disqualify you from ever experiencing any sense of a great life when it comes to God. Maybe you think those things disqualify you from ever being used by God to do anything. Well, if that's the way you feel, nothing can be further from the truth. And this story shows us that you're never too unclean for Jesus who can clean up anyone's life. Do you believe that? If you do, say amen. He can clean up anyone's life. And if Jesus was willing to reach out and touch a leper, then he's willing to reach out and touch you and your life and your circumstance today as well. But there's really so much more to this story than just that touch. Did you notice the way Jesus treated this man? He wasn't condescending toward him. He didn't treat him with pity. He treated him with dignity. He touches him, he heals him, and he gives him two very specific commands. First, he says, don't tell anyone. And people always want to know, why would Jesus say that? And that's not the only time in the Gospels where we see this reality where Jesus reaches out and and performs a supernatural miracle of healing but tells the recipient of the healing to not tell anyone, and people want to know why. Well, there's a really simple reason why, first of all, Jesus knew the kind of impact that kind of a spiritual healing or physical healing, rather, would have on people, and he knew that the impact could cause people to be so overwhelmed in seeking him out with their physical needs that it could keep him from doing what he needed to do. I mean, can you imagine what that would be like? To have no hope, to be in a physical situation where you knew you were going to die and Jesus comes along and heals you, you'd want to tell everyone that you knew. There's an interesting reference to this in Mark's account of the same story. There's a parallel account of this same story of healing in Mark chapter 1. Don't turn your Bible there. I'm going to read it to you because it's really short. It's just verses 40 through 45, and we get a little bit of a different glimpse of this man and his response to his healing, which kind of helps us understand why Jesus told him not to say anything. It says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See to it that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And here's verse 45. Now, I I can't say that I blame this guy for the fact that he didn't listen to what Jesus said, but verse 45 says, instead, that's, that's not a good start. He went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. I don't, I don't, is anybody, we don't blame him. Jesus, there's just a real simple and pragmatic reason why Jesus said, don't tell anyone. He just didn't want to stir the crowd up in a way that would make it difficult for him to do his ministry. Now, the second thing Jesus said was, go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded. What's that about? Well, the Jews had a set of detailed instructions. They're found in your Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 14 about ceremonial cleansing for a person who had leprosy. In fact, if I open my Bible to Leviticus chapter 14 right now, the chapter heading for chapter 14 would say cleansing from infectious skin diseases. They had a whole set of things that you had to do in order to be finally declared clean. 
Once a person had gone through those steps, that's what would happen. The priest, the high priest would say, you're, you're clean, you're no longer an outcast. And so this really makes what Jesus said to him special. He said, go show yourself to the priest and offer the gifts that Moses commanded, which was Jesus' way of saying, go show yourself to the priest, let him say that you're clean, and then go back to a normal life. That's what he was saying. Go back to your life. And that had to have been something that this man with leprosy thought he would never, ever hear or experience anyone saying, go back to a normal life. And I can pretty much guarantee, and I'm speaking from experience here, if you've ever, and I'm sure some of you who are here can uh, relate to this, if you've ever gone through a sickness or a disease or battled an illness that was difficult and you went through whatever healing treatments you needed to go through, I guarantee you the one thought that was on your mind over and over again as you went through that is this question, is my life ever going to be normal again? And this man, when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, do what you need to do, he was basically, Jesus was basically saying, just, just be declared clean and go back to a normal life. And that had to have been the most incredible message for him. Now here's, listen, here's what this story teaches us about experiencing the greatness of God or the power of God in our lives. In order to do that, you need to come to Jesus just like this leper did with an honest and a humble and a believing heart. You should write that down in your notes. You need to come to Jesus with an honest and a humble and a believing heart. That's what we see in this man's life. He knew that he had nowhere else to turn, and so he came to Jesus one day. He knelt down in front of him, and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now listen, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus can bring complete healing to your life. Now I'm talking primarily this morning about spiritual healing from sin because honestly, when we read about these healings like this where Jesus heals a leper, I'm reminded of that because leprosy is a great illustration for sin. It's a great illustration because leprosy is destructive, because leprosy is pervasive, because leprosy is ugly, and because leprosy is incurable. And sin is the same way, only greater. Sin is more destructive, it's more pervasive, it's uglier, and there's nothing we can do on our own to cure the problem of sin. But just like Jesus had the power to cure leprosy, in this man, he has the power to cure sin in your life or my life or anyone's life. Just like he was able to cleanse this man from leprosy, he can cleanse your life from anything you've done. You just have to come to him just like the leper did with an honest and a humble and a believing heart. And when you do, you can experience the greatness of God. Let me give you a second story. If you're taking notes, write down, obviously number one was the leper, write down next to number two, the centurion. And turn your attention back to our text. We stopped reading a moment ago in Matthew chapter 8, verse 4. Let's pick it up in verse 5 and read down through verse 13. We see the story of the, left, of the centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. 
And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. What a great story. A centurion was a Roman military leader who was in charge of 100 men. And there are two remarkable things about this man that we see right from the beginning. First of all, he showed great faith. Jesus said he had not found faith that great anywhere else. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Second, he showed compassion. It was compassion that drove him to Jesus. He came to Jesus because he had a servant who he said was experiencing terrible suffering. That's the way it's rendered in my NIV Bible this morning. And what makes that so remarkable is that servants in ancient days were not usually considered worthy of that kind of concern, especially not from a military man who you would think would be a hard man. But here's the deal. This centurion, he was different. And because of that, he experienced in his life, in this encounter with Jesus, the greatness of God, the power of God. And primarily because of this first thing that I mentioned a moment ago about him, he had great faith. If you look back at verse 10, you see that Jesus says, after the centurion approaches him and, and asks for a healing, Jesus, it says about Jesus rather, when Jesus heard this, basically a reference to the centurion saying, just say the word and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. But what was it about this centurion's man that caused Jesus to say that? What was so different and so distinctive about his faith? Well, when I looked at this story and I tried to just clear my mind and think about it from a real simple perspective, I found three things that I think make his faith so great. Write these down first. It was a clear faith. It was a clear faith. And what I mean by that is this centurion came to Jesus because he clearly understood that Jesus was no ordinary man. I mean, you see that especially in verse 9 where he recognizes Jesus being a man in authority because he compared himself to Jesus as a centurion. He said, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does that. You could probably say that about your children too. I'm sure. But there are... Those words are a clear testimony that somehow the centurion centurion understood what so many people were missing about Jesus, the truth that he was no ordinary man. And he wasn't. He was the Son of God, which means he was God in human flesh. We're not that far away in our study through Matthew of that great passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 16. It's in verse 13 where Jesus says to the disciples, who do men say that I am? Do you remember that story? Depending on what version of the Bible you're reading, it's either who do men say that I am or who do men say that the Son of Man is. And, Jesus, and they respond to Jesus by saying, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the other prophets, which demonstrates that there's a lot of confusion in a lot of minds about exactly who Jesus was, but not with this centurion. He had a clear faith. He had clarity about who Jesus was. And that's the first thing that made his faith great. Second, I look in here and I see that it was was a no-limits faith. Write that down. 
And you see that in the fact that he understood Jesus could heal his servant from right where he was standing without even having to make the journey to his home. He understood the power and authority of God. He knew that there was nothing Jesus couldn't do. He knew that Jesus had not been drawing crowds because he was entertaining them with magic tricks. He was performing supernatural miracles. He was demonstrating unlimited, everyone say unlimited, unlimited power. And it was doing it again because he was no ordinary man. He was the son of God. So it was a clear faith. It was a no-limits faith. And write this third thing down. It was a humble faith. And listen, of, of all the things that I can say about this man's faith, I think this is the most important. It was a humble faith. And, and here's, here's what I mean. Just, just listen to me. I look at this story, and I realize that somehow this centurion, and, and listen to me, he, this man was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. This, he was a Roman military leader. Somehow this centurion understood the grace of God. That's what leaps off the page to me. Somehow he understood the grace of God. And I say that because he knew that he wasn't worthy for what he was asking for. He knew he wasn't worthy and he didn't pretend to be. He was a Gentile. Jesus was a Jew. He was a soldier. Jesus preached nonviolence and turning the other cheek. He was a slave owner and Jesus saw every man as equal. He knew intuitively that he wasn't worthy. And so when he came to Jesus with his request, he didn't say something like this. He didn't say, do it for me because I've earned it somehow. Instead he, said, instead, he said, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. In other words, he was saying, I'm not worthy, but I'm asking anyway. This centurion's faith was great because he understood something that we all need to understand. God is not good to us because we're good. God is good to us because he's good. We need to wrap our minds around that. Has something like this ever happened to you? You, you find yourself in a really difficult, maybe even desperate situation, and you need God's help. You, there's, no, there's no other place to turn. You need God's help, and so you approach him almost as if you're sitting down at a negotiating table presenting an offer. And you might say something like this. I'll do it from a man's perspective. You might say, God, I'm a good husband. God, I'm a good father. God, I go to church most of the time. God, I bought a turkey for a needy family last Thanksgiving. God, a few weeks ago, I gave money to the tip jars for hurricane relief or something like that. And now, God, I need your help. And if you do this for me, then I'll read my Bible every day. I'll join a home group. I'll even fill out my 2017 stewardship commitment card. I'll fill it out and drop it in the offering bag when it's passed later in the service. By the way, these cards are in the back of your chairs if you don't have one with you this morning or you left yours at home. Listen to me, that's not faith, that's bargaining, and you can't bargain with God. No one, none of us, not one of us, no matter who we are, no matter how many good things we've done in our lives, none of us are in a position to bargain with God, and the centurion somehow understood this, and so he didn't try to negotiate a deal with Jesus. He just knew that anything Jesus was willing to do for him was nothing less than an act of grace, and we got to remind ourselves sometimes what grace is. Grace is undeserved kindness. It means if you, that means if you need to experience God's power and His greatness in your life, you can, but you got to understand it's not coming to you as some kind of a payback. It's coming as a present, solely as a gift. 
It's not something you deserve, and it's not something you could ever earn in your life no matter what you do. It's a gift, and somehow the centurion, this Gentile centurion, understood that spiritual truth. And so Jesus said he has great faith. And, and did you notice the verses 11 and 12 where Jesus says, after he said he had great faith, he said, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the, places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are the patriarchs, the kingpins of Judaism in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what Jesus is saying there? He's, he's recognizing this man as a Gentile man with faith. And he's saying, listen, there are going to be a lot of Gentiles who come to the kingdom and are a part of the feast and are a part of the whole heavenly reward because of their faith. While there are going to be a lot of Jews who think that they're okay just because of their heritage, you're going to find themselves on the outside looking in, which reminds us that this is all about faith when it comes to God. And so here's what we learn about experiencing the greatness of God or the power of God from the story of this centurion. You've got to come to Jesus with faith, and you've got to come with the kind of faith this centurion had. You've got to come with a clear faith. You've got to know that Jesus is not just one of your options when it comes to needing help for your life. He's your only option because He is the Son of God. He is God. And you've got to come with a no-limits faith. You've got to know that there's nothing that Jesus can't do. But most of all, you've got to come with a humble faith. You've got to come knowing that you don't deserve anything from Jesus. You don't deserve anything from God, but because of His love and His grace and His mercy, He's willing to make an impact on our lives. All right, I'm about out of time. Right down next to number three, the third person in this series of stories is Peter's mother-in-law. We look at verses 14 and 15. When Jesus came into Peter's house, He saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. And then we'll just finish out the text, verses 16 and 17. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. I only have a minute to talk about this. Basically, this remarkable thing happened with Peter's mother-in-law. And when, here's what we need to understand. When you read the words a fever in the Scriptures, like in the Gospels or in, in, the, in the New Testament, that's not a reference to, to, like, to like having the flu or flu-like symptoms. When you read the words fever, it's always a reference to a serious illness, an illness that even has the power to take your life. And so it was a very grave situation. But Jesus came in and He touched her and He healed her, which is so interesting you know, because the bookends of our three stories is Jesus touching a leper and healing the leper, Jesus touching Peter's mother-in-law and healing her, but in the middle, a centurion saying, you don't even have to come to my house. I know you can do it, which just shows us the love and the mercy and the compassion and diversity of Jesus. He can do anything. But what stands out to me the most here, just to be real quick about it, is this story is teaching us that experiencing the greatness of God and the power of God and serving God go hand in hand because we're told as, as soon as he healed the mother-in-law, she began to wait on him. And so write this down. Think about this. Experiencing, the, experiencing God's power and serving him go hand in hand. And that makes sense because a little later in his ministry, Jesus would tell us that that's what greatness is. It's serving other people. Look at these words on the screen, Mark 10, verses 43 and 44. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Experiencing the greatness of God and serving God.
go hand in hand. So let me bring this to a close. Brian, you can come. And let me just tell you this. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give away what you don't have. And a great life, you can't give away the greatness of God if you haven't experienced the greatness of God in your life. And a great life is not determined by what we get. It's determined by what we give. And what we need is that firsthand experience And it can come into our lives, it can come into your life today as a result of faith. But it has to be an honest faith, and it has to be a humble faith, and it has to be a believing faith, and it has to be a clear faith, and it has to be a faith that's expressed through serving. So here's the question, here's how we'll close. Where's your faith this morning? I'll ask our folks who are joining us online, where's your faith this morning? How is your faith? What's the condition of your faith today? Is there anybody here today who needs to experience the power of God in their life? I got to believe that describes all of us, at least on some level. And you can. You can experience the power of God in your life right now this morning if you come to Him in faith. You can. You can do it today. Let's pray. Father, thanks for a chance to talk about these things. I pray that every week because